Hello and welcome to the Fit to Transform podcast, where you learn how to train and diet effectively and, most importantly, how to maintain those results for life, once and for all. I'm Nikias Tomasiello, a transgender training and nutrition coach working online with anyone who's ready for a true lifestyle transformation anywhere they may be in the world. As a friendly reminder, any and all information provided is for educational purposes only. You should consult with your doctor before implementing any changes to your diet and exercise program. With that disclaimer out of the way, thank you for being here. Now grab yourself a cup of tea or pre-workouts and enjoy. Yo, welcome back to the podcast. In this solo episode, I want to talk about a topic that I'm hugely passionate about. I find it really fascinating and I've been reading up on it for years and I'm also hoping to get an expert to discuss it in more detail on the podcast as soon as I can. But for now, you get just me, yours truly. And what I want to discuss is the sex-based differences between people assigned female at birth so AFAB people, and people assigned male at birth, so AMAB people, as it pertains to muscle mass, body fat, and their response to resistance training. First off, let's start with the differences in body composition. In general, AMAB people have a greater percentage of muscle mass and a smaller percentage of body fat. And the reason is that AFAB people tend to carry a larger amount of what's called essential body fat. As a quick primer on body fat or adipose tissue, there are many ways to categorize it, but the way that I am going to refer to categorizes body fat based on its location. And we have essentially three different locations where we store body fat. There is essential body fat, there's visceral body fat, and then there's subcutaneous body fat. Starting from the last one, subcutaneous body fat is stored under the skin, whereas visceral body fat is stored around your organs, especially uh, the organs contained in the abdomen. And finally, essential fat is a type of fat that we need in order for our body to be healthy and to function optimally. So we don't want to lose essential body fats. And this can be found in many organs, muscles, and the central nervous system, including the brain. Now I've mentioned the fact that AFAB people carry more body fat than AMAB people in percentage. And the reason is that AFAB people tend to have more of this essential body fat. And the specific percentage varies between studies, but in general, AFAB people tend to carry between 8 and 10% more essential body fat than an AMAB person. As a result of carrying a little bit extra essential body fat, AFAB people therefore have a smaller percentage of muscle mass. And in fact, AMAB people tend to have a larger amount of muscle mass at baseline before they ever start training to grow it. To get a little bit more specific, on average, AFAB people tend to carry 
about half the amount of muscle mass at baseline in the upper body compared to AMAB people, and about two-thirds of the muscle mass in the lower body compared to AMAB people, which, in other words, means that the disparity between upper body in AMAB and AFAB people is larger than the disparity in the lower body musculature between AMAB and AFAB people. Another difference between the sexes is the fiber type composition of muscle mass. Specifically, it looks like AMAB people have a greater proportion of type 2 muscle fibers. These are also known as fast twitch fibers because they contract faster, they can produce more force but they don't last very long. They fatigue pretty quickly. So they're um, usually utilized during activities that require short bursts of high force. On the other hand, AFAB people tend to present with a greater proportion of type 1 muscle fibers, which are also known as slow twitch because they contract more slowly they can produce a lower amount of force and they're therefore better suited to longer duration, lower intensity exercise, such as endurance training. Speaking of training, what's interesting about fiber type composition is that we can actually affect it to a certain extent with different types of training because our fibers adapt to our training style. For example, if you only do resistance training and you never do any form of cardio, over time you're going to have fewer type 1 fibers and more type 2 fibers than before you started this uh, training approach. Conversely, if you do a lot of endurance training or only endurance training, then over time you're going to have fewer type 2 fibers and more type 1 fibers. However, despite this ability of the fibers to adapt, the baseline differences between AFAB people's fiber composition and AMAB people's fiber composition remains even after training because a similarity between the sexes is that we all seem to adapt to resistance training to a similar degree. In other words, if an AFAB person and an AMAB person both start doing solely resistance training, they're both going to see a shift of some of their type 1 fibers to type 2 fibers, which means that the absolute difference in percentage is going to stay the same. So if the AMAB person starts with 60% type 2 fibers and ends with 70%, and the, the AFAB person starts with 40% type 2 fibers and ends with 50%, the absolute difference is going to be roughly the same. And now, since I've mentioned the first similarity, this is a good segue into other similarities between the sexes. And one of them is protein turnover. And that is the balance between the rate at which we synthesize or create new muscle protein or muscle protein synthesis rates and the rate at which we break down or degrade muscle protein, which is called muscle protein breakdown. And this seems to be roughly the same between the sexes. And that's important because it's muscle protein balance that 
affects our ability to put on muscle mass. In that, if we want to build more muscle, over time, our net muscle protein balance needs to be positive. In other words, the rate at which we synthesize new protein, so our muscle protein synthesis rate, needs to be higher than the rate at which we break protein down. Now, these are differences and similarities that we don't really have under our control. They are what they are. However, we do have training and nutrition under our control. So the most important question to answer, in my opinion, is do the differences between AMAB people and AFAB people actually affect their response to resistance training? Or put in a different way, do the differences mean that AMAB people are going to respond better to resistance training. And so if you are AFAB, you are, in quotes, doomed to have a lower response. And my dear listener, this might surprise you, but the answer to this question is a resounding no. Despite these differences, AMAB people and AFAB people can increase their muscle mass and strength to a similar degree and at a similar rate relative to their starting point. That, to me, is fantastic news. This is likely the um, aspect about sex-based differences in muscle mass and training response that I find the most empowering. Because, as I've said, the other similarities and differences between the sexes are not under our control. But we can most definitely make a difference with training. And knowing that we can make the exact same amount of difference irrespective of our sex assigned at birth, to me, is extremely encouraging. Another way of saying this is that if a NAMAB person can put on 10% of their starting muscle mass over 10 weeks of resistance training, I'm not saying that this is possible, it's a random example. Now you take an AFAB person with, again, this is impossible, but let's say they have the exact same genetics as the AMAB person, so they are going to respond to resistance training and adapt to it in the same exact way. The AFAB person can also increase their starting muscle mass by the same amount, by the same percentage, so by 10%, over the same period of time, so over the 10 weeks. So really, the only difference in the amount of muscle mass that AFAB people and AMAB people can carry is the fact that AMAB people start with a greater amount of muscle mass at baseline before they start training. Now, to wrap up this podcast, I want to explain to you why this topic was so dear to me to discuss today, and the reason is twofold. First off, I've come across many gender-diverse people who lean more towards the masculine end of the gender spectrum, who were under the impression that there was no point in starting to train and to eat differently, trying to build muscle and lose body fat, until they started gender-affirming surgery uh, surgery therapy, until they started gender-affirming therapy and began to take testosterone. And uh, the other aspect of this twofold reason is that I've also spoken to cisgender women 
who felt at a disadvantage compared to their cisgender male counterpart and like they couldn't attain the physique that they aspire to because they weren't going to respond as well to resistance training. And hopefully with this podcast, now you understand that that is absolutely not true. You as a cisgender woman don't need to feel at a disadvantage relative to a cisgender man. And as as a gender diverse transmasculine person, you don't need to wait until you start testosterone to take advantage to gain the benefits of resistance training. Not only because, as I've said, you can put on muscle at the same rate and also in the same amount as a NAMAB person can, even now, if you're listening and you are pre-T or pre-testosterone therapy, but also for the fact for but also because there are plenty of other benefits that you are going to enjoy if you start your fitness journey right now. And I am speaking from personal experience, and I'll tell you why. I didn't know when I would have access to gender-affirming therapy when I got my first referral to a gender identity clinic in the UK. It wasn't under my control. The only way I had that was under my control to begin my transition and to get a more gender-affirming physique was to change my diet and to start training to build more muscle. And for me, that was so empowering. I am forever grateful to my old self for making that decision back in 2018 to start looking into hypertrophy-specific training and to learn more and more about the scientific principles of this approach to training and nutrition. Not only that, but the sooner you start before testosterone, the greater the amount of muscle mass that you'll have put on by the time you start testosterone. And since testosterone is a steroid, it is going to increase the rate at which you can increase your muscle mass. Just like when um, cisgender boys go through puberty and their testosterone increases, that seems to be one of the main contributing factors to their increased muscle mass at baseline relative to cisgender girls. So when testosterone starts doing its work within your body, you're going to see an increase in the rate at which you can put on muscle. And you also already had some muscle mass to begin with. Now you are going to get truly jacked and certainly more jacked than if you had waited until testosterone. A third benefit is the well-researched improvements in physical and mental health that training can have. And if you are in a better mental headspace when you start your medical transition, you are going to enjoy that transition a lot more, just like you're going to enjoy the rest of your life a lot more. And last, but by no means least, hormone therapy and also gender-affirming surgery all come with risks. So the fitter your body is, the more resilient it's going to be, the lower the risk that you are going to have from going on hormone therapy or undergoing gender-affirming surgery. So if you're listening to this and you haven't started tea yet, first of all, please know that you are most definitely going to gain muscle if you start training now. 
and you can gain muscle at the same rate and in the same amount relative to your starting point as an AMAB person. So it is not wasted time at all. There are also all of the benefits that I've already mentioned to starting training before hormone therapy. And finally, if you are a cisgender woman, you do not need to feel inferior to a cisgender man. There are certainly differences between the sexes, but these differences do not affect our ability to respond to resistance training. To finish off, I want to make sure I say this. If you're listening to this and you're in a position where you can't bring yourself to start training and to start changing your diets until you have access to gender-affirming healthcare for mental health-related reasons, I really hope that you're not beating yourself up for not being able to get started right now. This is not at all the intent behind this episode. If you have legitimate mental health-related reasons why you cannot get started right now, those are, of course, valid. What I wanted to do with this particular podcast was ensure that it's not misinformation that's holding you back. I don't want someone to believe that they're not going to have the same response as an AMAB person unless they are on testosterone therapy. So I really hope that today's episode was just as empowering to you as learning more about these sex-based differences has been for me. And before I end this podcast episode for good, I just want to refer you to an excellent resource if you want to read more about these sex-based differences. It's a research paper that you can read for free. It's open access, meaning anybody can read it. And it's titled Physiological and Molecular Sex Differences in Human Skeletal Muscle in Response to Resistance Training. I'm going to add the link in the show notes, as I usually do with these uh, research papers. I think that this is brilliant because it's a great synthesis of the majority of the scientific literature on this topic. So if you want to delve more deeply into it and have a written reference in addition to this audio podcast, definitely check that one out. And that's a wrap for today's podcast. As always, if you want to connect with me or to apply for coaching, you can do so via the links in the show notes. And I want to leave you with a massive thank you for gifting me with some of your precious time. I always say it, but I always mean it because whenever I look at the podcast analytics, I can see how many people listen. And uh, I am always overwhelmed in a really positive way by the Uh, the impact that I can therefore make on all of you who tune in every week. And that is the main goal of my content. I want to be able to make an impact on as many people as possible. And uh, without you, that would not be possible. So I am honored to be in your ears every week, and I look forward to doing so again next week. So thanks for listening, and until next time. Lastly, if you want to support the podcast and help me reach more people, please leave a five-star rating or review on any podcast platform 
that you're using. Thank you very much for listening and I'll speak to you soon.